It's instantly put me in shock because my back's broken. I'm eight hours away from a hospital. I'm come here on a ski, which I can't get back onto because my back's broken. My mind just said, give up. So he was holding me above the water. He's bawling his eyes out. There's seals jumping around us. He's just thinking, oh, we're gonna eat by a shark. G'day, this is Living the Dream, a podcast from Gage Roads, where you'll hear from people who are all about going after what they love. We'll chat to photographers, musos, surfers, designers, a range of people who are living life their way. In this episode, a story you have to hear to believe. Chad Jackson and his mates are on the hunt for one of the world's most feared waves. Cyclops was a bit of a myth back then, but when that myth turned into reality, things got hectic. Chad broke his back taking it on and pretty much thought his number was up. But it was that moment that sparked a fresh and creative new direction in his life. Chad's been on the bodyboarding world tour. He was a regular on the tension movies, remember them, and is currently the man behind clothing brand Grand Flavor. Chad, good to see you. Yeah, you too, mate. Hey, dumb question, but how scary is breaking your back? Oh, yeah, I don't think that there's anything I've been through that I've been more afraid of my whole life. Yeah, I just... Um, I thought that was my number that day, so yeah, pretty pretty hectic. Did you know instantly you're in bad shape? One hundred percent, yeah, <coughs> um, yeah. Just even I knew as soon as I took the wave that I was in bad trouble. Like sometimes when you're surfing or bodyboarding, you could and you're riding certain waves, you just know when you take off, you just know you're in a bad position, and that wave, yeah, it just um, it just went out into zero water and onto. A really, really hard, sharp bottom reef, and um, the f- the feeling of it was like someone had laid me down and whacked me in the back with a sledgehammer, basically. Yeah. So going back to the start a little bit, what led you to being there? What was the inspiration for for you and your mates to head out to Cyclops to this wave that is just you know one of the most feared in the world? I think it was um, – it's all relevant to the tension series because um, at that time we were able to, like, <coughs> use jet skis and stuff like that, which basically led us to evolve into towing out and doing airs and then obviously towing into waves. So you just kind of work your way up. So you're surfing certain waves, you're towing into them, you, you'll surf smaller waves and then – we seen this wave on like a Billabong Odyssey movie and basically one dude at the end of the movie in the credits wrote it on the, on the shoulder of the wave and then pulled off and we're like, oh my God, that's like the heaviest wave I've ever seen. Let's go find it. That was the start of it, seeing like a bit of footage in a credit. That was it. Wow. Yeah. So uh, for those who might not have heard of, of, of Cyclops, what is it? What is, the, what is the story behind it and how is that kind of built over time? So basically, it um, that's how it first came out in the Billabong Odyssey credit thing, and it was it was kind of like a myth at that time. It was like, what is this wave? Where like these guys who were traveling around on like massive ships, you'd almost say, looking for like heavy waves, and they've found it and ended up at that we um, you know found out that they were at that part of Australia, down around in that Esperance area. So um, you know, it just came to like us really determination into finding that wave and it it took it was like it took everything that you go down to Esperance you go into surf shops you go to places like that and go you know do you know anything about these guys and this wave and you just ask a lot of questions and 
ended up finding out finding you know anywhere from about a hundred to two hundred kilometer radius where it could be. Really? So that there was a few kind of tails around it, like it was pretty hard info to get. Yep. So then it came down to like going on Google Earth. Yeah, right. And looking for lineups and pinning lineups that it might be. So you you'd heard about it a few places where it might be. You jump on Google Earth and you're just what zooming in, zooming out, looking for exactly spots right. where this mythical beast might lay. Yep. So hitting on like all the satellite pictures and just going, yep, could be that, could be that, could be that. Pinning him in and then basically going like looking at landmarks where's the closest place to put our ski in. And then going from there. Huge. Do you kind of wish you didn't find it? <laughs> oh, that day, definitely. Because, and, and for one reason, like, you, so the, the way you surf that wave, you drive your boat and everything up the beach for like an hour. And then you get to the camp spot, which is directly in front of the wave, which you have to obviously take a boat and a ski out, which is just like however long, like a kilometre out to see anyway but we had put our ski in right at the very beginning so we didn't drive right an hour up the beach so we drove the ski for about an hour and a half so you had like a trek on the ski just to to get you know to the starting point really three of us on the ski like three of you riding around look like almost we're trying to look at these little pins we've got as well yeah like <laughs> in the ocean going nah 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 and then obviously when we got to it we were 100 percent knew it was it Oh, so that's the other thing, right? Do you know when you find it? Oh, yeah, we knew. You knew? 100%. Soon as we, soon as we got there, we were like, that is it. Like, those, the waves out there just shape in such a way that they just, you can just tell. So, yeah, we were there and we are like, sweet, we found it. <laughs> Let's surf. Yeah, now, <laughs> and, and, but were you hesitant? Like, you find it. And like I said, you'd seen this, like, a little bit of footage in the credits of a Billabong movie. When you got there and you knew that's what you came to do, were you, were you hesitant at all? Not at that age, really. Because like, how old were you then? Uh, just, oh, I can't even tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Young enough to have a crack at it. Yeah, yeah. Young yeah. enough to just think, to, well, to not really know the scale either. Like no one's, you're just standing, sitting there watching it, so you can't really tell. So at, at any like given moment, I would be saying, all right, let's saddle up the ski and tow in. But we only had one ski. And Chris wanted to film it, so he was sitting on the ski. It's Chris White, yeah. Yep, yep. To film it while we paddled it, which is fine because, yeah, like that's how we'd done things kind of mostly up until that point. So, um, yeah, my f that was my first wave anyway. And having no idea of the scale, watching the footage he took later, just going, wow, I did have no idea it was that big. We, we thought, I, I thought I was on like a three-foot wave and it turned out to be like, you know, ten foot, so... I didn't even know. So can you can you remember how you felt once you're in it? Scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew straight away I, I was in a lot of trouble. Like, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of moments from towing into waves and surfing waves that I don't re recall just because it's a lot of adrenaline and stuff like that. But that is one vivid moment that I will never forget. Yeah, just... Um, I just remember seeing a cr almost like a crack line in the reef and just having to ride over, over, over until it just slammed me as hard as it could on the bottom. Like that's basically the reality of it. So I've just gone under, hit the bottom really hard and it's, it's kind of, um, it's hit me so hard that it's more or less put me in 
a daze. Like I didn't hit my head or anything, but it's it's instantly put me in shock because I, I'm like, okay, my back's broken. So you knew in that minute. I just knew it. Yeah, yeah. There's just certain things I feel like you just know and like, yeah. I just knew. I just knew my back was broken. Um and yeah, it was the f- it was a real sinking feeling. So we had one ski like. The other guy, um, Sean Virtue, who was surfing with me, he basically was sitting out there and he, you know, I, I've gave, given him, like, I've just kind of crawled up and gone, you know, my back's broken. And um, from then on in, I was kind of in and out of consciousness and he was doing his best to keep my head above water because the feeling I had was just, I, I was feeling like I wanted to sink to the bottom. Like, I was feeling like, mate, this is just going to, this is too much. I'm cooked. Yeah, I'm like... I know where I am. I'm in the. I'm eight hours away from a hospital. I'm come here on a ski, which I can't get back onto because my back's broken. And my my mind just said, "Give up," but like basically. So he was holding me above the water. And anyway, Chris is just kind of off the cuff, gone. Listen, I'm going to hammer into shore on the ski. See if I can find someone who can help us out. Um, and that in that time frame that he's gone. Like, Virtue's broken down in tears. Um, you still remember that? Seal, or? S- remember that. Yeah. Like, he's bawling his eyes out. There's seals jumping around us. He's just thinking, oh, we're going to get eaten by a shark. Like, that's, it's sharky territory, right? Really? That's so, on the land there, there's abalone divers. And they dive in cages because they, they very, very... Um, a, lot of, a lot of the time, they get attacked by great whites while right. they're... While they're um, harvesting the abalone out there. Okay. So they've got a um, camp there, which they go to every season, dive in a cage, and they get attacked by great white sharks all the time. And so here's you <laughs> with a broken black back with your mate kind of just keeping you above the surface of the water. Balling his eyes out. Yeah, balling his <laughs> eyes out. There's seals jumping around and you go, I know what comes with seals. And I'm just wanting to sink to the bottom thinking yeah. this would be easier, right? Anyway, um, so I had no idea how long Chris was gone for because I was pretty out of it. And anyway, he's ended up finding, gone to their camp, which no one was at, and finding uh, uh, just a dinghy on the beach. He's picked the dinghy up over his head and... That's some, like, my best mates in strife strength. Like, yeah, what's so, a, so you know how you get, like, the... Is it the man strength when you've got kids or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That kind of parental thing just takes over. That's and you can what, do superhuman... Yeah, he efforts. did that. He did the superhuman effort, like wow. you're talking. Yeah, so that's he's he's picked up the boat, put it above his head, ran it to the water, tied it to the back of the ski with our tow rope, and uh, pulled it out to us. They've been able to like kind of get me on the body on the bodyboard and then slide me up over the dinghy and then kind of into it. So then got me into the beach and I'm just completely out of it, still in the dinghy. Um, yeah, on the beach and then like, you know, the next thing for them was to like, all right, we've got to find someone who can get him back up this beach. Yeah, like, what, now? What, what are we going to do? So I think this is something I kind of went over with him real recently and um, almost got some new information out of him like because it's like obviously I was there but I was out of it a lot and it, we, we've discussed it before but not so much in all detail, and he said, you know, it, it was around two or three hours before he actually, they f- he found a, a fisherman, and they've gone, listen, my mate's broke his back. Um, fishermen have drove over with their full drive, slid me into the car, and made we've made the drive 
back up the beach, you know, and they were really nice and they took all the care in the world with me, you know, they, I'm soaking wet in a wetsuit and they've got me on their back seat, probably still on the bodyboard, I think, um, just to, you know, they were doing everything they could to not move me to not worsen the damage for me. So anyway, um, yeah, we've got all the way up the beach and then there was another group of crew, like um, a photographer, his name's um, Ian or Eric Renyard, one of them, Tungsten, and, yeah. and um, another mate who was shooting photos as well, who never even, who had a boat, but they, and they were supposed to meet us up there, but obviously they, know, they didn't know where it was either. Yeah. So they were at, at the launching spot because they'd seen our car. So this is the problem of being at a secret location, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't know where we were either. Yeah. <laughs> So we're, we're, we're like 200 k's east of Esperance, basically, um, and then some up the beach. Um, and so these guys are at they, – they knew we were around because they sent our car with an empty trailer. And then obviously we're coming up the beach. One of them's jumped on the ski and fanged the ski back up the beach. So then they've slid me from that four drive into their car and <coughs> we made the drive to Esperance Hospital. Get to Esperance Hospital and, you know, after around eight hours of this, these guys on me on a bodyboard taking the most care in the world, they've got me out the car, just walked me onto like a wheelchair and wheeled me in and like Chris and that are just absolutely dumbfounded. Like, like what are you doing? And angry. Yeah. They were angry. They were like, we've done all this and you guys have just done that. Yeah. And you should be the guy that knows not to do that, right? They were so angry. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So... Got, got into the hospital there, they've um, done the scans and they've just kind of come up and apologised and gone like, oh, we're so sorry. Like, we know you said that we thought you had a broken back but we just didn't believe you. And then they're like, yeah, you've like crushed and cracked your L1 vertebrae. And then they were just like apologising and stuff and we're like, you idiots. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's not. And so then, yeah, anyway, I got on a flight straight to Perth. Right. <coughs> yep, so free flight out of there. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be one benefit to the well, whole thing. Well, I right? hate that drive anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did you a favour. Yeah. Yeah. So you're on the flight, you're back in Perth, and then is that when you start to kind of learn about a bit more about the situation you're in and, and the road to, to a recovery? Yep. I mean, um, <clears throat> without a doubt, the hardest thing I had to do about that whole situation was call my parents. Right. That was... So you called them yourself? I called them, yep. Got on my phone, called them. Like, it was... 100% the hardest thing I had to do. Had they had a whiff of anything that no happened idea. to you? No idea. It's just a call from me, like, how you going? Um, I'm in hospital. Uh, I've broken my back. And when you say you broke your back, like instantly people go, you're in a wheelchair, right? 100%. That's what you think. It's the right? first thing. Yeah. But um, I was like, you know, go on. You know, it's a stable fracture. I'm getting flown to Royal Perth. And, like, I just, as a parent, I could not imagine that phone call. Like... Oh my god! Yeah. Have you have you spoken to your folks about how they were feeling when they got that call? <laughs> I like, haven't, and no, I don't, I don't, don't want, want to. to. I don't want to. Yeah. Now that I'm a parent, I don't have to. Yeah. I just know. I'm like, I just feel so sorry for them. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it is gnarly. Yeah, I couldn't imagine hearing that from my kids. It would just scare the crap out of me. So yeah, um, in hospital, probably spent around seven or. Seven days or seven to ten days in a spinal ward. Um, What's a spinal ward like? Do you see a lot of other people oh, it's, there? It's really tough because the guy next to me 
had crashed a motorbike and he was basically in all the metal. You know how they have the metal frames around him? Yeah. And that they're sticking into their arms and then the round bits? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so he had that, legs and arms, and he could not move. And I was just like, "That this dude's gnarly. Like, he can't even move. Like, and then the other person on the other side of me, yeah, like, you know, it might have been someone who was paraplegic or something. So yeah. I, I was the luckiest person there without a doubt. So in a weird way, like when you're surrounded by that, are you almost a little bit thankful for where you're at compared to what you can see around you? Oh, mate, I, I was, yeah, I was like so thankful that I wasn't in their shoes because I, I knew I was in a better way than they were. But that's where you get put, right? You, you've got a spinal injury, so you're put in the spinal ward, ward no matter if it's were better or worse or whatever, you're just there and you just go through your treatment. But, yeah, um, I was kind of able to leave there after about 10 days and then, yeah, I, I, I was living down south at the time and I'd moved back in with my parents after that, and um, <coughs> which is always tough. And then I was laid up. I was probably, I probably laid pretty flat. I, I was only getting up every now and then for, I reckon, about a month. Okay. Yeah, just to give it time to heal. And then I started doing rehab. And then I reckon within about three to four months, I'd booked a trip to the Philippines and was on a surf trip. Again. No way. Yeah. Can you remember the first wave back? Yeah, I, I didn't do much. It was like, uh, it was scary. I, I just rode some white water. Yeah. Yeah, but it evolved very quickly. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to book a trip to warm water. Yeah. Because, like, I just felt like, if I'm in warm water, I'll feel better. I'll be all right. So I booked a trip to the Philippines. Crazy. Yeah. Which is great. And probably, <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the first time when you really got back into it, I imagine that is just the most appreciative you've been on being in the water for, for a long time. Oh, I mean, I can appreciate it more now because if I did the same injury now, I don't reckon I would recover at all. Like, I don't reckon I'd surf again. But just just an age thing? Doing it at the age of, like, you know, um, mid-20s or whatever, you just heal so quick. Yeah. Yeah, you just... Mentally um, too, right? It's unbelievable, yeah. Yeah. Just the way you heal. Like, I've got a mate who has um, done a major injury on his back a year ago, and, you know, they're saying to him, they were saying to him, yeah, you'll be 100% better in a year, and, and he's just not, like... And it's just, like, it's just... It's got to be an age thing. Your just, body you just can't keep up. Yeah. So... Have you been back to that part of the world? I went back. Really? Yep, I went back. I went and surfed Cyclops again. Like, I spoke to numerous people who were just like, you might, you know, it could be a good thing for you to face your demons. Just like a mental side? Was that that the reason? So I went back and surfed it, yeah, and I ended up getting a cover of a magazine (laughs) (laughs) out there. So So how long after was it that you were back there? Um, I don't know. It, it, It was probably anywhere around a year. I reckon that's a quick turnaround because they kind of own these breaks only kind of work around certain times of the year For as sure. well. Yeah. So yeah, it was yeah, it was just something I had to do, and I and I was something I was told maybe I should do, and then I thought to myself, okay, I've just got to do it. Did it, and that was it. Done. I know I'm never going to surf it again. Move and on. And I knew from that moment I would never surf it again. Tell your folks you're going back. No. No. Did not tell them. <laughs> no. 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 Like what about it. your mates, though? What about your mates who were there when you told them that you were going back? Did, did they want you to? Did they understand why you needed to? Yeah, I mean, they were right there alongside me. They were with you? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's special. Yeah. 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 That, like, so we had a fair, fair bit bigger crew the next time we went back. Yeah. And we had more of an idea of how to get there and, like, you know, we camped on the beach there instead of driving on the <laughs> ski for two hours. You learned some lessons, right? Yeah, because act- them guys actually stayed down there and surfed it again after I broke my back. 
and they got really good waves, um, kind of as good as that wave gets. Mm-hmm. Like it's just really sketchy and really scary wave. Like it's really good for photos and everything, but in terms of personal riding a wave pleasure, it's not really that great. Is there is there somewhere else you've been that reminded you of that, or is it just its own beast? Yeah, it's definitely its own beast. It's just. Um, it's almost like the novelty waves that you see in a smaller scale just ramped up times 100, mm. and that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, the inside reef is barnacles, which are about 20 centimetres long. Like, you know, you come off, you, you're going to get slammed on the bottom and you're going to get cut up bad. Yeah. That's what's going to happen, and that's yeah. what did happen. Like, all the other people that surfed out there, they got bad cuts, they got bad injuries, and, yeah, I'm surprised there wasn't an, another even more horrific injury out there, to be honest. So when you went back and you did it again, yep. how did you feel in that, in that moment? The whole trip like, was just full of anxiety for sure for me. And everyone could tell. Like, yeah, it was just a ball of anxiety. And then, I mean, I'm sure that they could also tell that it was just a, a feeling of like, I've just got to get this over and done with. And that's what I did. And then I was just like, sweet, let's get out of here. Yeah. That was, that, they were happy. They were like, sweet, let's get out of here. In a way, that leads to grand flavour, right? Which... Right. I want to talk about in a moment, but I kind of want to go back a little bit and talk to you about bodyboarding from an early age. Yep. How did you get into it and, and what did you love about it when you were a kid? Yep, so um, I was the youngest of three brothers and my I had a cousin who was older and he, he rode a bodyboard around and he was kind of riding it in like the Gene Hardy era. I'm, I'm not sure if you know Gene Hardy was one of the WA pioneers yeah. on a bodyboard. And um, so my, both my brothers bodyboarded, so it was just natural for me to do it. Um, and then my cousin evolved to a – he not evolved, but he turned into a surfer and so did my <laughs> older brother. <laughs> That's an interesting word from you. Yeah. yeah. Um, he turned into a surfer and then my older brother turned into a surfer and then one of my other brothers stuck with bodyboarding, same as me. And, um, yeah, we just kind of ended up getting into the competitive – part of it as well and I remember like my first ever comp and I just tanked first heat and you got it just so devoted and my brother went on to make it through almost to the semis or the final or something and then like got given a bodyboard for like best effort or something like that in the day and I was just I wasn't even happy for him I was just so angry I was just like I wanted I wanted that success so bad so were you always competitive like that or did, was that when you realised you had this streak in you? Mate, I had to be. I had two older brothers. I had to fight for me food at the dinner table. <laughs> like if I didn't if, – if you're f- finishing last, that yep. just gets snatched up, you know. There's a, there's a, a bowl of seconds on the inside. If, if you don't finish first, you get nothing. So it, it just was a natural thing, I think, that happened. But I, I don't actually think my other brother who still bodyboarded, Nick, was – as competitive I, I don't i don't think he was as competitive but i th- just think that he just loved doing it and he went really well and it, it was probably a good thing because it, it instead of me being happy for him i was super mad yeah and i just wanted i was like when's the next comp i just want to go on another comp yeah so that's how it kind of happened for me and then i kept like going through all the um ground routes kind of events or the local club comps getting good results, going into state comps, getting like qualifying for nationals, all that kind of thing. And just it's just the same slow progression everyone has with every sport, you know? Yeah. So that's – and then, yeah, moving on to doing the world tour and everything. So how long, I mean, did it take? Like how old were you when you did that first comp? 
when you're filthy at your brother for finishing better than you did yeah. to the point where you're on the, the world tour and you're, you're travelling around up against the best the world has to offer. Yeah, I reckon I was probably around the age of 13 or something. Wow. Yeah, which is late. Is it? That's late. Yeah? Yeah, man. I mean, kids are on on bodyboards and surfing really well at like anywhere between 10 and 12. Yeah. So I reckon I was probably mucking around in this. Like, obviously, I my dad always pushed me in on a foamy when I was a kid. Yeah. And I'm lucky being the youngest because I just I just go along, right? And I've got an extra two to four years to get as good as what that when they started. You kind of hear that with people that end up doing really well in an area. It might be sport. It, it might be like you with bodyboarding. It could be anything. The youngest of the litter oh, always yeah. has to work harder and ends up working out pretty well for them. Well, you get lucky, right? Because yep. you've got to keep up with your older brothers or sisters. And, yeah, and th- that's just what I had to do. So that... that we all started everything at the same time and that's just a huge bonus for me. Yeah. Yeah, so that um, – <clears throat> yeah, in terms of competition, that was probably the age oh, that I started competition maybe. Yeah, right. around that. So what was World Tour life like? What's comp life when you're at that stage? It was great. Like um, the tour was super – it was a very formidable tour. Like you could – if you were doing well, you could make good money – yeah. Sponsors were paying well because they wanted you on it because you were promoting their brands well and they were, you know, all the brands were selling selling lots of product and selling lots of boards and everything like that. So it was totally relevant for them to be, yeah, to be to get a good contract and go on tour and get their riders on tour and surf. Um, the environment on tour was sick. Like we had, we always had a really similar group of Aussies that we travelled with. Right. And, um, yeah, and we all... Just yeah, we all just had a, we all had a ball really. But yeah, like I learned very quickly that my mindset was just not right for competition at all. Why? What What was different about you? Uh, I just yeah, like it took me, it took me to winning a major event to real to like actually click in my mind like wow, that's what you have to do to win. Like I have not done that my whole competitive career. So that's interesting. So the first time you win, which you think would be like your happiest moment, right? Yep. That for you was a moment of I'm geared a bit differently to what's needed. Yep. So I was just like, wow, like you really, really have to be an asshole. Well, what, what happened? Win. So I, I, <coughs> I've gone to the last event of the Australian tour, which was like the biggest event of the year on the Gold Coast. And I've got there two weeks earlier um, and I've stayed with them, um, the Hazard Brothers, who were friends – who are still friends of mine now, the Mad Hooey's guys. Yeah. Um, stayed with him for a few weeks and just surfed um, at the break called D-Bar for like two weeks straight. Every day I just surfed that wave. And that's where the event was being held. So um, once the cop came around, like I was pretty focused. I was hanging by myself, even though, you know, all these guys that I go on tour with and all these guys are still there. Yeah. I wasn't even hanging out with them. I was hanging by myself and I was just in my own head. Going through the heats, going through the heats, gotting through now to a semi-final where I'm in a semi-final with a, a good, really close mate of mine and he's like going, you know, and I only need like a five. There's a wave coming. Can I get it? I'm like, nah, you're not having it. Um, he's just like, what? And so anyway, I've ended up getting through. He didn't and he was completely dirty at, at me. Yeah. And I was just like feeling really torn at that stage and just thought, I can't, I just can't think about this right now, so... Went on, went on to the final who, like, there was a lot of, like, it was a very competitive final and then ended up winning it. 
and just getting to the end. This guy's hating me. One of my best mates is hating me. Yeah. And the other guys are just like, what the, who is this guy? And I'm just hating myself. I'm just like, this is fucked. I, I, I don't want to do this. That's like, so interesting because that could be a switch to go the other way, right? And, and apologies if you can hear that in the background. We're actually hanging out at the brewery today <laughs> and they're doing some work out the back and they're noisy. Um, but the good news is if you put up with it, that means they're making beer. So all good. Um, and it's gone. They've stopped <laughs> making beer. Um, that could be in a switch to the other way. That could have, you could have maybe gone, that's what it takes to win. Yeah. I want to keep winning. That's who I am now. Yeah. It just, I just didn't dig it at all. I didn't like it. I didn't like that. I don't know. It just, not everything competitive should be left in the water and it wasn't you know and i just didn't like it and i just that was it i gave up so <laughs> that was, you made your decision to quit after you won your first major event yeah that's basically it i that's think huge. i did a few smaller events after that which um not smaller events sorry like events that um had come around world tour obviously travels around the world and when i got yeah. to wa i might have got a wild card to do the wa event something like that did a few more events um, and did pretty well in them, actually. <laughs> did, did, did better than I'd gone the whole time I'd been on tour. Yeah. Because I knew these things now. Um, but that wasn't my personality and that's not what I did. So, yeah, I mean, we quickly moved on. I quickly moved on and I quickly rallied and we ended up doing a TV show on Fuel TV. Ended up, you know, kind of pioneering the towing bodyboarding scene and just doing a lot of filming and stuff like that and media stuff just to keep our sponsors happy and all that stuff as well. I was going to say, like, if you've got sponsors yeah. and you're not in comps, yep. then is that what you have to do to make sure that they're still happy with you and providing? Yep. That's exactly right. You've right. just got to supply shitloads of media, right? So, um, yeah, and we'd organised to do, like, the first ever bodyboard TV show on Fuel TV, stuff like that, yeah. um, which is, like, it now I've, got, I've gone through and put the whole series on um, the Grand Flavour website oh cool yeah so i've just gone through about how long i put like there's three parts to every ser every every episode four episodes so yeah i played a part per week and now the whole thing's up there so yeah we did that for as long as we could push that for basically which was like we absolutely enjoyed it because <coughs> we got to free surf we got to explore these waves and i mean yeah we were still really heavily into that big wave scene at that stage, because that's what what made people want to watch it, right? Yeah. How do you get How do you get people to, like the mainstream to watch? It's got to be epic, right? You got to do something crazy. Yeah. And that was it. Huge. Not to harp on about it too much, but I reckon that comp thing is so interesting. How long did it realize take you to realize that that's not who you wanted to be? Did you feel it instantly, or was it later when everyone was giving you that sideways glance and didn't want to hang out with you maybe for a little bit because they thought you went too hard? Like when did it hit you? It was absolutely instantly. Like we were at the presentations that night. And I didn't even feel like going up and getting wow. my award. Yep. I was just like, this is this sucks. <laughs> I just hated it. Yeah. So where did the tour take you around the world? Where was it travelling to then? Um, so we we did in Europe. There was a few places in Europe like Centrical, Sintra in Portugal. We went to Chile was a major destination with really good waves. Yep. Um, we had a one in france we traveled to france to go through to other comps in spain um where else canary islands huge events there hawaii every season um so do you think that was the draw card for you being able to see all these parts of the world when you're pretty young and 
do something you love? I just thought that was an added bonus. Like at that yeah. stage, I was like, um, if I had enough money to book a ticket, I booked it. You know what I mean? So yeah, any any chance like like going to those destinations, I knew some of them weren't the best wave destinations, but I knew the crew that we had to go with, so it made it okay, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it made it it made it like, ah, it's all right. We've got a good crew. It's going to be a good time, but you know. <laughs> Realistically, I wasn't there for a good time, was I? <laughs> That's what I found out later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the vibe like then with bodyboarders and surfers? And do you reckon that's that's changed over over the years since you've been in the water? It's absolutely changed 100%. So, I mean, at that stage, um, yeah, surfers, I would definitely think, have had a very negative um, approach towards bo- towards bodyboarding like you know there's many cruel nicknames that we were called and these days i just the young crew are so much more open-minded and just accepting and like when i go surfing i'll, I'll be the one call, like calling a surfer or they're calling me to go surfing like yeah. that's just how it is and i think for me a lot of it started from when we started hanging out with the hazard twins because mm-hmm. they were 100 accepting of people on a bodyboard on a knee board on anything they didn't care they didn't care they were great dudes and i think like they were as much as they weren't the best surfers in the world they were they were just always the best dudes in the world right and everyone knew that so it's like if these guys can accept everyone, why can't everyone follow their lead? So it, it, it happened with happens with the younger generation, you know what I mean? Like there's probably still the old crew out there that feel the same way about us. Yeah. But all the young crew, they're just – they are like completely different. Yeah, it's it's great. That's interesting like you mentioned that and then you talk about how you felt after you won that title because, I don't know, it sounds like to me you'd rather be the best dude in the world. Like well, you'd rather people like would think of you as a good bloke, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that. What that's yeah. I yeah. guess yeah. I'm craving people's. Um, <laughs> well, I meant it in a positive way, not an attention-seeking way. <laughs> but uh, that's probably more important to you than you know winning title after title and and standing up on a podium, right? Yeah, mate. I, I mean, I'm certainly a people pleaser. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's fearless. Um, you talked about the media stuff, which is – I think it's great that you've got that stuff up on your website now, um, grandflavor.com. Just dot .com. Dot yeah. com, sorry. Um, because speaking of, like, film and, and tension's probably something that holds, like, a really special place, I reckon, for a lot of people who, who grew up with it. But what were those days like for you and, and how did that all come about as someone who was totally in the thick of it? Yeah, I mean, that stuff was just a lot of fun and um, – <coughs> That, that's what it was built around. It was built around having fun and that's what the movies pervade, having lots of fun, and that's what brought bodyboarding to the mainstream. So no matter what anyone was doing, like if they were surfing big waves or anything, if you're having fun, it's just it's just more easy to watch and, and relate to, right? Yeah. So that's what, like mainstream being like people who had never even known what a bodyboard was were buying their movies that's correct that's when you know you're onto something right and that's right and and they just absolutely dominated and all the way till the end of the series you know they were as strong as they were they they just no one wanted it to end really like how big did it get 
Well, we've had the premieres were pretty big. Yeah. So, I mean, they were cramming a thousand people in the Regal Theatre. Massive. Which doesn't fit a thousand people, right? Nah. So, people down the aisles, everything. It was just absolutely chock a block. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, you get recognised. You, you get recognised. I feel like back in those days, um, before social media and stuff, like, you know, we were actual real life people's heroes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't like to call myself a hero, but I'm just, I just mean like, just people to look up to, which is, don't, people don't do that as much these days. They don't have someone locally to who they look up to. I don't reckon because they, you know, they might think they're more famous because they've got their own Instagram or something. You know what yeah. I mean? I just think it was, it was just more raw back then, and everyone in that, in those theaters, were there for the same reason, and they were, you know, no one was prejudiced. Everyone was there, and everyone, you know, bodyboarding was like its own little fight club. Mm-hmm. They were all there to see the same thing, and you couldn't, even if you didn't know the guy next to you, they were your best mate. It's just, it's just that vibe that it had. Because you were into this thing. That's like right. Like, you knew about it. That's it. Like, you're in the team. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, like, a lot, of, a lot of real happy, happy kids. And, like, yeah, it was just fun. It was all just fun. And yeah. everyone could relate to everyone. Did you have, like, a little pinch yourself moment where it got to where it did in terms of, like, how popular it was and how much the demand was? Were you like, that? this wasn't supposed to be like this? No, nah, I, th- I was too young to yeah. realise any of that. I was just, you know, I was just old enough to have a few tinnies and Speak have a, <laughs> there you go. So have a drink and just have fun. And like that's, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you have to have a drink to have fun, but like um, I was just, that's what I was doing. Like I, we were just all in the moment. And so it wasn't something I really heavily thought about the size of, of it all. No, you're just in it, having a good time yeah. with your best mates. But when it was happening, I never thought it was weird. Mm. I was just like, sweet. These are all these people. They're here to see everyone that's here and that's great. That's yeah. how it should – like people should have people to look up to. Yeah. Yeah, these guys are my mates. That's a bit pretty of inspiration. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because it's – there's a few things happening obviously now where it's it's kind of coming back into the fold. I mean, we're recording this the night before you're about to right, go yep. be involved. When people hear it, it will already happen. But, like, that's just yep, you know, so the magic of it, right? I'm in Perth right now because I'm going to a it's – it's called Up and Joke Tour. Yeah. It's a tension reunion it's been named as. But um, basically, it's, there's only a few of us with COVID. It's a bit hard to have sure. a tension reunion. So me and um, Husey will be there uh, as well as Chris. Um. And, yeah, they've got a lot of comedy acts going on there tonight. And, um, you know, I, I would think a lot of that crowd is going to be there from the Tension era, which is great that they're still pulling those numbers. They've sold out the Regal Theatre again. Um, I'm, what I've heard, it's going to be a really funny show, like the comedy show, and they've done a few skits and stuff as well. But I'm, I'm really out of the loop. <laughs> and, I, and it scares me that they, you've got a bunch of comedians and guys doing skits and you're out of the loop. It's not a good thing to be out of the loop. <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. that much, yeah. It's It'll scary. be interesting to look into the crowd and just see who's there because you're right. There will be so many people who were your age when that was happening. I don't know. A few of them might even be bringing their kids. Oh, they old enough yet? No, probably a bit off. I reckon they'll be getting the kids babysitted for, <laughs> yeah. the, for tonight <laughs> as a chance. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping that's crowd is kind of pulling because you know they're people who are going to really get a kick out of what's going on tonight. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Hey, let's go back to, to Grand Flavor because, you know, we're briefly touching on your experience at Cyclops, which kind of left you flat on your back, um, you know, for a month or so and then like a lot of rehab. But, um, yeah, tell me how that experience led to you kind of coming up with, with this idea for this brand. Uh, yep, so um, <coughs> I knew I was kind of be going to be laid up for a little bit and this was in 2004. Um, and at the time, the... Bodyboarding industry only really had one other brand, which was called No Friends, mm-hmm. which was an American brand, and they were they were awesome because they were all these best writers that made sick movies, and everyone watched them and everything like that. So anyway, myself and a few other bodyboarders and a designer got together. It was um, Dave Winchester and Ben Player, and Dave Wilcox was a designer, and we got together and made made the brand. And um, two of us like the name Grand, and two of us like the name Flavor. So do the mess. <laughs> we just put it together, and um, it 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 you know basically started that. That's as easy as it is to start to start something like that. And I was the one who was laid up, and I was like, all right, sweet, I'll do a bit of leg leg work while I'm doing nothing, keep myself busy, and kind of just got some basic stuff together for it, and that kind of thing. And yeah, it had its ev- evolution. Of what it did. So you really had that idea of this is a brand for bodyboarders. We don't yep. have something local for us. Let's just start it ourselves. Yeah, like there wasn't really anything in Australia at that time. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's – that's for us it was like there's so many board brands, you know. There's so many flipper band brands. Like there's no one – there's wetsuits. There's no clothing. There's just no clothing. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a no-brainer. Um, yeah, but it was hard to run because we were all on tour, right? So, so you're still on tour at this stage. So how do you run a brand when you're constantly on the road? Like, Yeah. Yeah, it was really hard, especially managing accounts and all stuff like that. So, yeah, we kind of it, – it, it could have probably – if you had – we could have employed someone to run it, which we should have done in hindsight. They could have maybe, maybe made something even bigger of it. But, yeah, in the end, we just – did what we could at that time mm-hmm. and i mean we did it because we wanted we wanted to make clothes that we wanted to wear as well had any of you worked in in that kind of industry before no, no. no one how good yeah no one <laughs> so and that's the that that's the best way to learn is is to given the fact that you have to do it if you have to do it then it gets done the backs up against the wall a little right. bit right if you don't do it it doesn't happen that's right yeah so where do you even start with something like that Designer comes up with a design. Yeah. Go get it printed on a T-shirt locally. Yeah. Sell it to a shop. Oh, they, they bought it. Then they sold it. They want more. That's it. Wow. Keep building. And at that stage, obviously, no online stores. So it was all shops. And, um, you know, we we'll after that, you know, you're travelling around doing, um, you know, promo tours at shops. So you'll go to a shop. You'll be like set up posters, you're signing autographs that kids come by the shop, they buy the clothes and it's crazy. Yeah, that's how it used to work. <laughs> I don't think people do that anymore, right? I don't know. Can you still do that? I don't do you know. remember people, when, when surfers and that used to do that? 100%. Used to go into the shops, sit there and sign posters? Yeah. We used to do that. And there were lines like out the door. Yeah. Yeah. We used to do that. Yeah. Wow. Promo tours. Yeah. Crazy! No one, they just don't do that anymore. Yeah, can can we still do that? Can that come back? Well, don't, I, don't I don't even stock any shops. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. So the online channel is interesting, right? Because you would have had this evolution from tipping from you know retailers to yeah. then going. Well, we can sell direct to our people. Yeah, but it wasn't like that though. We still wanted the shops, right? 
Like, yeah, we still desperately wanted the shops to be on board. But then there was the turning point where they said, well, if you're online, then we're not going to stock you. Some said that. Some didn't care, right? Because some shouldn't care because it's not going to affect them. Like, if there's only a couple of clothing brands and people want to buy clothing, they just buy it. Mm -hmm. And people still go into stores and buy clothes. They don't all shop online. Yeah. So anyway... Yeah, it, it just went that way for as long as it could until basically a lot of the bodyboard stores really dropped off. There's not really many left. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we ended up, we're kind of totally online. We, we stock a store in Bunbury called Good Earth mm-hmm. um, and they take ranges every now and then. But, yeah, we're predominantly online and that's it. What's the, the scene or the, the culture like now for, for bodyboarding? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. I, I feel like it's really hard for the kids, though. Um, for us, when COVID started, we started a um, ground roots sponsorship thing, and basically that was me just thinking. When I was a kid, what was the biggest inspiration to get out there and really try your hardest to be the best in surfing? It's like because you're surfing for someone, like you're mm-hmm. surfing for a sponsor. Like I mean, I rode for brands like Rip Curl and stuff growing up, and it was like, and I'm getting these like cheap clothes off this brand like i want to do the best i can so then maybe one day i can get free clothes or something like that yeah so we've started up this ground roots thing where we've got kids where you know we're taking on kids who aren't necessarily winning every comp but they've just got a rad attitude and and that's what really works for our brand and so you know we've picked up about seven or eight kids now over that period when covid started just to keep keep them inspired you know and keep it and if they're, if they're inspired, I'm sure their friends will be as well. Um, you know, the comps completely dropped off as soon as COVID started, but yeah. I know they're going again now. There's still a state state titles and I'm not sure. I think the Nationals got called off this year, but all the state titles still went ahead. Local club scenes are probably a pretty dying thing though. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Did you see that as like with what you're doing with some of the young kids as a bit of a... Like a responsibility to, to keep it going a bit. Like you wanted to help them out, keep them pumped, give something back a little bit. Yep, definitely. I mean, I 100% feel responsible in the position I'm in to, if I want the sport to progress, like if people are talking about wanting the sport to be in the Olympics, it's just not going to happen if these kids do not, don't have anything to aspire to. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I mean, ultimately, why can't bodyboarding be in the Olympics? It might not be... The next one, it might not be the one after, but it, it can get there. It's interesting because we had, obviously, surfing at, at Tokyo. Yep. And, obviously, you need those um, kind of comps to kind of come back for it to be a chance to get to something like that. But, you know, do you realistically think that, you know, I don't know, maybe it's Brisbane 2032 that we could see um, bodyboarding as an Olympic sport? I think it's achievable. Um, you've got to have a completely relevant world tour, though. Right. And the world tour was called off completely last year. They're saying there's going to be something again next year. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot that – there is a lot that has to be done. Like, with the right sponsorship for that tour, it can be absolutely massive because the, the, the locations they surf on on that tour, the waves are of consequence and everyone in the whole world would want to watch what's going on because it is crazy, mm. the stuff that they're doing. For someone who, who maybe hasn't watched a lot of it, how does the comp scene in terms of scoring compare to surfing? Is it is it similar or is it is it really different? Yep, very similar. Okay. Yep, it's just like that high octane action. You know yeah. what it, what you see is what you get. If you see something that looks radical, it's radical. Okay. 
and that's yeah that's how it is yeah so with grand flavor obviously bodyboarding is kind of still at the core of what that is but has the has the brand kind of changed and evolved from that how do you how do you see it today um i think the clothing has evolved yeah but i still see it as a core bodyboard brand like there's an enough in that niche market for kids to if they support it then it can keep going um yeah, like I see a, more of a future in bodyboarding than anything with the brand. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Like, mate, if anyone else wants to buy it because they like what they see, obviously because it's affiliated with bodyboarding, then that's great. You yeah, know? that's if that's what gets them excited, then that's what that's the best thing. Yeah. Um, so we were just talking before we had a yarn. We we're like going for a bit of a tour around the brewery, which was uh, which was cool. But um, we kind of found out that you and I both grew up in the same suburb in Perth's north. We both went to the same primary school. We both went to the same high school, but today is the first time that we've met, it's which is crazy. a bit weird, right? So crazy, yeah. Very Perth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're down in the southwest. Like, you've been down there for a while, down in, in Dunsborough. What's what's life like down there for you? Yep, so I've been living in Dunsborough with my family now for eight years. Um, and, yeah, we're, we definitely are not coming back. We, um, we lived in a very small unit in Woodlands when we were in Perth. Yep. Which was cool, but we kind of outgrew it and um, gave Dunsborough a shot and just, yeah, we fell in love with the town. So, we, um, yeah, we're there, we're there to stay. There's just everything we've built there is really perfect for us. But for you, was the southwest always somewhere that you would go to as a kid? Like, do you remember the first trip down there with your old man, I imagine, like, hitting the water and that, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's funny because the first trip I remember down with my my family like we'd rocked up at like yelling up and the swell was absolutely massive like it was one of them bombing swells and it was offshore and, and how was, old were you yeah i would have been like 12 or something well wow. i was just a kid and i was just like this is the craziest stuff i've ever seen i, I reckon i was younger i reckon i was probably 10 so and i was just like blown away and then we were ending up going and staying in quarantine bay which is where our um our cousins had a house there and um I was looking at all them waves there, which I knew nothing about, but like North Point being one of the best waves in the world, it's just like was pumping on that day and I had no idea, you know, just cluelessly paddle out to surf centres and stuff like that and surf other breaks and, yeah, it just, um, it was a complete, like an instant attraction and all through my years growing up, going through comps surfing and everything in the ground routes, comps and club comps, I just used to make friends with the older crew so I could bum a lift and get How back. Good. And, and I was bumming, bumming lifts down south all the time. And I was lucky enough to be able to stay with guys like Ryan Hardy, who was, you know, best bodyboarder in the world, and been able to stay with him and his family at, at such a young age and kind of get a bit of mentoring from him as well. Yeah. Hey, um, thanks for coming down to the brewery for a yarn. Uh, best of luck tonight. And, um, yeah, good to have one of those with you. <laughs> Straight off the line, <laughs> they're tasting good. Um, yeah, really good to really good to have a yarn. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate it. That's Chad Jackson. He's an absolute legend. It was awesome spending a bit of time with him. Uh, you can check out his threads on the website grandflavor.com. Hit him up on Insta as well at grandflavorofficial. And thanks again for taking a listen to the podcast. We'll catch you next time. Cheers.